Previously on Media Loper Bebop. You know who the official voice of the end of the world will be? Dick Clark. <laughs> Dick Clark. <laughs> but I have, I have, I have like these. Kirk, what the hell's going these... on in there? I'm looking for my Android phone. I seem, <laughs> to, have, I seem to have lost it. Oh, well, isn't there an app that you can just like clap your hands and it makes Your a noise Android. Uh, Come here, Android. So I'm looking at Coco Crisp's uh, lifetime stats right here. He's in his tenth major league season. His life. Let me guess. He's a less than 300 hitter. You know what? <laughs> Coco Crisp is not the sort of player you can judge in that way. Hi, and welcome to Media Loper Bebop Episode 2, Buried in a CF Coverage. On our show this week, was Osama Bin Laden's being killed his personal 9-11? Also, the royal wedding. Hey, remember when that was a thing? Introducing the Coco Crisp Afro Watch. And finally, now that Steve Carell has left the office, is it still worth watching, or should it have ended two seasons ago? I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and joining me this week are Tim Gaskell. Hey, Tim. And Kirk Biglione. Yeah. So, uh, we were going to talk about the royal wedding, which I don't know any of us saw or not. The royal wedding was the weekend's (sighs) big news. And then um, America's Biggest Boogeyman had to go and get himself all killed and stuff. Wait, there was a beatification in the middle. This weekend was overbooked. Yes. And um, last night, the national conversation changed away from the royal wedding instantly to Osama bin Laden, primarily online and primarily via, via social media as people's on Facebook and Twitter's feed just completely exploded. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's back up even more a couple of days. So we have the the birther birth certificate thing that came out. Then you had the royal wedding. Then you had the the uh, the press dinner in Washington D.C. where uh, Trump got uh, fed his just desserts. And then last night, Obama killed Osama. Wait, and Osama got his just desserts. Except we don't have a body. Well, the sharks, the sharks, <laughs> the the birthers who are off the set now are on to the where's the body. I thought the, the truthers. The I think the truthers are on to become, where's the body. Become the where's the well. They'll join forces. <laughs> the the White House has promised to release photos at some point. Now the truthers, the like birthers, can, like like the White House doesn't have Photoshop. Well, I that's what that's what I was going to say is I think that they're thinking is well they need to take time before they can release them because they have to get a real really good photoshop artist to complete the job like they did with the birth certificate yeah like they did with the zapruder film and the jfk assassination wait tim they used photoshop on the zapruder film uh some I, well they might have used iMovie or you and know, time travel. final final cut or something photoshop and time travel so i guess my question about this to you guys is did did both of you learn this um, on the radio, on TV, or from Twitter? Totally Twitter for me. Yeah, I had been in seclusion Sunday night after uh, being out doing the post-book fair drinking and eating binge. And uh, I had to write down some notes on something I was working on. And in the corner of my eye, the first tweet I see looked odd because it was retweeted and um, you know, someone I don't know. It was in my, a stranger in my stream had been retweeted. And it said, I hope the soldier that killed bin Laden was gay. <laughs> yes. 
That was one of my favorite tweets. Then when, when I saw that, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I thought to myself, well, did something happen to Bin Laden? And instead of going to my web browser and going to a news source or Google News, I start scrolling through the Twitter feed and realized that, you know, Bin Laden was dead. At about 6.30 or so, I started seeing the thing about, <clears throat> first, about the president wanting to speak to the country, and we thought, oh, that's weird. And then one of my favorite Twitter feeds said, I'm sure glad this wasn't the, the president's speech where he says, there's an asteroid coming, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> and uh, eventually, I think I got a, a message on Facebook from my neighbor saying, I heard it's Osama bin Laden's dead or something like that. So, Did you ever turn on the television? Did you ever go to CNN? Did you ever think about tuning into Fox no. News? You know why I didn't tune into CNN? Because at midnight last night, I got a I got an alert on my phone from CNN saying that Osama bin Laden was killed in Afghanistan. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I hope you didn't have to pay for that. Uh, no. That... that text message <laughs> and the and the ultimate insult was that cost you 10 cents basically with me i think well we were watching deadwood because that's what we're doing right now is watching deadwood again and um rocks checked twitter just uh, i think we were stopped for a second and said to me we should turn on cnn so we instantly turned on cnn it was about 7 30 pacific time and stayed with it until after obama spoke but at the same time, instantly with the Twitter, instantly started, well, making you know, making comments, making observations. For me, it was really about as much. It was it was the virtual equivalent of going to a giant concert and just talking to strangers about the band, or or going to a ball game, or going to some big public meeting, and and everybody. It's the town square, as they said. Exactly. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's making jokes or observations or having heartfelt reactions. And that was, while at the same time, for me watching the band on the stage, which in my case was Wolf Blitzer. Oh. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> yeah. So sorry for you, Jim. Sorry about that, yes. No, don't feel sorry for me. One of my tweets got retweeted 300 times. Ooh, really? Yeah. Wow, which one was that? Um, clearly it takes a Muslim to catch a Muslim. Oh, nice. And so yeah. I also had the experience in that hour between the time... It's too bad you can't collect royalties on that, Jim. In the hour between <laughs> the time of, of of making the tweet and the time Obama's speech or, or so is TweetDeck, which is what I use to, on Twitter, updates uh, favorites and mentions in real time. And so I was just watching, you know, like every couple of seconds, people retweeting my tweet who I had no idea who they were. And some were like... Mm -hmm. This is funny. Others were like, this guy's a complete asshole. And from the left, a lot from the left was like, how can he make fun of how – of course – But why can't both be true? We know you, Jim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah the, uh, the reaction from uh, many people on the left, and we all uh, I pretty much identify liberal, you know. And I – to me, this was, this was something to be um, praised – and, uh, you know, I'm not standing – I wouldn't be standing outside the gates of the White House cheering or anything, but I, I praise the action. I praise the the decision-making uh, of the president. It was very – he was very forthright, and he made he made a decision that 
went against what uh, some of his advisors were saying about that we should bomb the compound. And he said, no, let's go in and uh, take him. And it was successful. There was a lot riding on it. And you got to give him some credit for having the, the fortitude for so, Tim, did you see this is one of the advantages I had in watching CNN was they actually yep. showed the people out in front of the White House and literally it was all drunken college students. Yeah, it was a bunch of frat boys. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't really like the the American people spontaneously <laughs> descended upon Washington. It was a bunch of kids because remember, it's almost Kegger at the White House. Exactly. Yeah. Woo, party at the White House. Down the street. Yeah. And uh, they let out and uh, <clears throat> obviously they took advantage of the. Uh, you know their proximity to the White House, which you know that's fine, but it wasn't it wasn't the oh all of America is congregated in the White House because you know no. half America was asleep. Half of America was asleep. It was eleven thirty almost by the time the East Coast found out. So a lot of people probably didn't find out till this morning, which would explain some late tweets and Facebook posts that I saw this morning. So saying, it's got, there's got to be a way that we could hook Twitter up to your alarm clock. So when breaking news happens in the middle of the night, yeah, like you, get, the, you know, it gently wakes you up to tell you something important has happened. Well, like broadcasting network. Was that, was it, was it EBN? What? Twitter is the new emergency broadcasting network. Here's, here's my problem with that. Is it, I, I assume we all follow CNN breaking news or some breaking news. Yes. Uh, feed is a lot of time on CNN breaking news. It's not really bre- Lindsay Lohan arrested well, again. Thing. Yeah, you'd have to have like a dial that you could adjust. This is the level I consider to be worth waking me up. Right, you actually have to. You you need to have some sort of uh, AI parser that would actually parse the language and figure out whether or not it was a real breaking news story or some sort of celebrity bullshit. Right. The other thing is the newspapers and CNN, like LA Times and CNN, I was getting tweets, you know, I was seeing tweets from them later on, like well after the fact, saying, you know, Obama, Osama bin Laden has been killed, you know, click here for the story. I mean, they weren't, the, none of those organizations were leading the charge. This was led totally by the people. It was an amazing, you well, know, because it was live tweeted by uh, really by virtual. guys in Islam. <laughs> Uh, about a bad. That's the thing. You know, we talk about what what's going to happen to the news industry. What's going to happen to newspapers when no one's around to actually pay for the serious journalists to fly halfway around the world and write these stories and do the reporting. But, you know, the New York Times wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, when it was happening. It was some guy with a Twitter account. So this is it, right? I mean, in terms of how we're going to get uh, we're going to find out about big things is that somebody's going to be on the ground or somebody's going to leak something or someone who knows is going to tweet it and it's going to be picked up and disseminated virtually instantly around the world. Everyone is connected all the time with, you know, the uptake of smartphones is is hitting that, you know, hockey stick moment where over the next year or two, you're going to have literally everyone is going to have a ubiquitous channel to any of these social media sites where they can post whatever they see in real time. And how can uh, a mainstream media organization compete with that? They can't. They They just have to become part of it or co-opt it, which is what will probably happen. Bill, they they probably will. And I I, I get so many offers, as everybody does in L.A., to get the L.A. Times for 
a dollar a week or whatever. I think pretty soon they're going to pay you to take it. But, I won't be paid to take the LA Times. No, I won't be. I won't be paid either. Not because it's a bad paper; it's a good paper. But no, I won't. No, I'm no, just. It's the product. It's just old. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want 24 hour or 12 hour old news in the morning. I want new news. So anyway, we should. Um, <clears throat> do you, how do you think the royal family feels about getting upstaged by the Osama bin Laden? So this is, I mean, seriously, this is how disconnected I was from the Royal Wendy. I was sick the night that I hadn't, or I wasn't sick. I, I had insomnia. I had one of my terrible cases of insomnia that night. Tossed and turned. Despite the fact the wedding was going on, I didn't even remember that it was on. It didn't even occur to me that I could watch it. Where, Tim, mm. I guess you could be Wait, excused. It was, it was on TV? It was on TV. Apparently. The Royal Wedding. Yes. So, yes. Tim, you could probably be yes. excused for watching it because you did marry a, Brit a British woman. Yes. You did live in London for over a decade. Yes. So I guess my question to you to you is, why do you hate America? Why do I hate America? Because did you <laughs> – well, you guys didn't watch it, so you didn't know. You didn't see all the fantastic hats that were on display by the women. Now, the, the hat industry must have made a fortune on this wedding alone. Every woman there had – the most amazing hat, and yeah, it I was can't amazing. believe we're talking about hats. Uh, but what I found the most interesting story of all was the Middletons. I wait, 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 Tim, hang on a second. Yes. Go ahead. Are we still talking about the royal wedding? We are. Okay. Just, so I, 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 de I didn't. I just want to go on record. I deny that the royal family exists. <laughs> you know what? This is this is the only thing that Kirk agrees with Morrissey on. You need you need yeah, exactly. You need to see the birth certificate or what? The, I don't, Kirk, I don't and, Kirk, Kirk and Morrissey clearly are two peas in a pod. Oh, they are. I, Morrissey's going to be our guest next week. That would be <laughs> awesome. Oh God, that would be. The wedding itself, because you guys didn't watch it, I will mention this, was, was very, it was very, it was a nice ceremony and everything, but it was highly religious, which kind of goes against, you know, the trend in Europe right now is so far away from religion um, it was kind of it kind of stuck out it, is this highly religious ceremony going on in one of the most secular countries in Europe next to uh, well almost all of them especially the northern European countries where I think in Scandinavia and Sweden and Norway and such the the amount of people who claim no affiliation to religion is like 75 85 percent now so well it's hard to believe in God when you have whole months where you don't see the sun. That's true. That's true. And yet, and yet, they still believe in monarchy. <laughs> That's the thing I don't understand. It's like evolution should have weeded out monarchy by now. That's monarchy is an argument against evolution. Kirk, why do you hate the monarchy so? <laughs> They're unnecessary. <laughs> They're like the little toe. Um. Yeah, but what about for all those? Princess fairy tale. Oh, oh! Don't even get me started on fairy tale. Okay, seriously, fairy tale. You know what happens in fairy tales? People get eaten. They die. They but get then burned they up in fires. How do they get eaten and die if they live happily ever after? Explain that one. They don't live happily ever after. Usually, some and in, 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 in most fairy tales, something terrible happens all the way through. Um. Let's see. Yeah, you're right. You know what's interesting? <laughs> you're absolutely right because if you go back and watch Snow White, what's fascinating about that is how how kind of grotesque that the guy at the very beginning, the huntsman or whatever, that goes with Snow White, he's there 
to kill her and remove her heart and take it back to the queen. He has explicit instructions to take her heart out, put it in a box, and take it back. I mean, and little tiny kids are watching this thinking, you know, that this is, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of boggles the mind when you think how dark and depraved some of these And then what happens, she ends up living with seven men. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you don't don't tell me about you know fairy tale ending. That does not seem very happy. That's true. That's true. Um, anyway, I wanted to conclude with um, why we're on the subject of the uh, monarchy and religion and the church and everything. Uh, the tornadoes in the Bible Belt. Why does God hate the Bible Belt so much? I know why. I know why he hates them so much. Because there's the only ones who believe in him, so he can continue to prove that he exists to them by wreaking death and destruction upon them. Just, just to keep them honest, right? Well, it's no, it's like um, gods. If you don't believe in them, they become ineffective. Well, these people believe in Wait God. Wait a minute. This was a Star Trek episode. It's also a Simpsons episode when the oh. advertising signs come to life. Yeah, they stole all that from Star Trek. Anyway, maybe. The terrorists have weather control software. Next subject. For a few years, the U.S. version of The Office was one of the all-time great TV shows. And it became, at least for me, a unique combination of awkward, funny, and tender. And as played by Steve Carell, Michael Scott, I think, became one of the all-time great TV characters. And over the years, it made sense that his staff ended up, if not loving him, then at least understanding him. Here's my question. Coming after a couple of really uneven seasons... Does Carell's departure kill The Office, or does it re-energize it? Very good question. Now, I've <clears throat> I've been watching the last couple seasons, and yeah, they've been they've been up and down, but but not too bad. Uh, this season, however, I haven't seen. I've only s- seen a few at the beginning. I haven't really caught up yet, and I'm kind of wanting. I'm, what I want to do is queue things up and kind of watch it all in order. But I have not done that. I'm looking forward to the ending and seeing Will Ferrell, and then kind of seeing where it moves on uh, to. And Will thing. Ferrell. Who, well, to me, Will Ferrell is an overrated comedy actor in movies, but he can bring he can bring something to this maybe for a while. I don't know. Is he supposed to be? Is no, he's not going to be. He's got a forced four episode arc, and I think he's gone. Yeah, three. no, yeah, no, no, no spoilers here. But the big question is who's and this. I think the ultimate answer to your question, Jim, is who who's going to be the next boss? Right. It's not going to be Will Ferrell. It could be any number of people, but man, if it was Ricky Gervais, you wouldn't be asking the question like that. Wouldn't yeah. that be perfect? Because be- there was that that scene in, I can't remember if it was episode one of this season, where they ran into each other, Yeah. and Ricky Gervais was in character, and um, and they both thought they'd just met the greatest person ever. <laughs> that, would, that would be perfect if Ricky Gervais even did like a, a four-episode arc as the the new boss that would be awesome the office to me uh, i agree with your your opening there it's one of my favorite one of my favorite shows one of the better tv comedies and i was originally <clears throat> a bit skeptical but uh, was won over by the end of the first season like like most people um uh, one of the legacies of the office for me and jim will disagree with me here <laughs> is that it pretty much spawned a show like Parks and Recreation, which to me is kind of trying very hard to be The Office, and it doesn't quite doesn't quite get there for me. I know it does for other people, but it doesn't quite. 
you know, so the office has kind of opened the door for this this style, unique to the office and should kind of stay there. That's it. Parks and Rec is different from the office in that it's much sweeter and than the office. The office still has that that weirdness and that meanness that people have. Not, they don't shy away from uncomfortable moments. Exactly. And, and, and Parks and Rec will go down the road to an uncomfortable moment and then they have all these different characters who just have really big, good hearts who will make a joke that you don't think should be, or, or that 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 isn't mean. That is, it works out perfectly, and it's just it's a it's it's influenced absolutely, but it's gone its own direction and 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 less about um, some of the pathos of the office and more about just silliness and fun. Right. Well, and they're they're fundamentally different environments. On one hand, you've got like you know. Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross of paper, <laughs> potentially, right. where all these you know salespeople are you know trying to sell as much paper as they can, and then on the other hand, you've got small town government, parks and recreation in a small town government, which is like the least official government job you can have and still have a government job. Mm. Uh, so it's a very different sort of in, uh, concept, but they're both office environments, so they have that similarity. True, and they're both mockumentaries. Theoretically, yeah. Explain that though. So this is this is really where the U.S. office kind of falls down. Is it must be the worst documentary crew ever if it's taken them <laughs> this long to make the documentary. Why are they still filming? Yeah, seven, six years, seven years, or whatever. Well, I think that just becomes part of the running joke. Is that okay? Well, they're 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 treating it like a documentary, and for it's all like we know, it's filming it. Yeah, exactly. No one's filming oh. it exactly. <clears throat> that's why as a British show when it was only what 12 episodes it it makes total sense you know you could it, it, it totally fits that style so that was a, a, that was one of my initial reservations like if this goes traditional American sitcom format this will run seven or eight years and have you know 200 episodes how is that gonna how is that gonna maintain the the, the pretense of the the, the documentary so I, I learned not to care about that because yeah, there's yeah. so many shows that use that conceit now. Yes. Second part of my question, I guess, is so three years ago, let's say, maybe after the Michael Scott Paper Company arc, maybe after its fourth or fifth season, we would say, or at least I would say, that The Office was the best sitcom that wasn't called Arrested Development of the last 10 years. And in the last couple of years, it has. It has been uneven. And do you think those those years, especially say if there's two more years of that post Kirill, if it doesn't pick it back up, does that ruin the overall legacy of the office its first few years? No. It depends on how bad it is, but I can't imagine it would be that bad. No, I guess not. I mean, the quality would have to fall dramatically. And at that point, I can't see that any of the people who are involved would be involved. Here's our next segment, brand new segment called Cocoa Crisp Afro Watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought incorrectly that Cocoa Crisp's Afro was gone. It turned out he didn't rebraid his hair at the um, insistence or suggestion of manager Bob Guerin. He actually put it into a ponytail. Uh, but he let it flow on Sunday uh, at the urging of his teammates, actually. Uh, and he had a hot game. He had missed a couple games. He you know, was, was 
moderately injured, but not enough to go on the DL. He came back on Sunday. He had a phenomenal game. He sparked a rally in his first at bat. He did well in his second at bat. He scored a couple runs. Uh, and he was in full-on Oscar game. It, this was bigger. It's gotten bigger. It's gotten more amazing. Okay, so uh, Kirk, I think what we need you to do as part of the Coco Crisp Afro Watch is to do some sabermetric analysis of Coco's stats while he's got the Afro and when he's not wearing the Afro. Okay, I'm there. Okay, there you okay. go. Yeah, I'm starting we, a spreadsheet right now. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So one more thing. One more thing. Kick it, Tim. Uh, the Hobbit is in production. Have we mentioned that? The Hobbit is in production. Peter Jackson directing. Um, <clears throat> I have one word of advice to him. No, I have several words of advice to him. It must be better than King Kong. But he's got Kate Blanchett, Martin Freeman, Andy Serkis, David Tennant, of course, Elijah Wood, Orlando Bloom, Ian McKellen, a lot of the same same people, the usual suspects. But um, this is going to be this is going to be fabulous, I think. One more thing, Kirk. So uh, I found myself, because we have you know Netflix and Apple TV and broadband, which is now limited as of May 1st, so we can't watch too much video online because we might have to pay AT&T more money. I found myself looking at my cable bill, my DirecTV bill, thinking, you know, I'm not sure we need HBO. But then, you know, we kind of do need HBO. I was sort of on the fence thinking maybe HBO is the kind of thing you can buy when you need it, like when the series you're watching are on. Right. Um, and then, like this week, HBO put out HBO Go app mm -hmm. on both Android and iOS, so I can use it on my Android phone as well as my iPad. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really good. It's surprisingly good. It has um, access to every uh, HBO series, all episodes. Wow. You can watch every episode of The Sopranos. You can watch, I can catch up on those series, like uh, four, three or four episodes, first episodes of Treme in season one that I missed, I can finally catch up on. You can watch all of Flight of the Concords, all of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, it's really sort of, Amazing. Of course, you have to have a current HBO subscription to access it. <laughs> so, not, well, it doesn't render it completely useless because you can't. Use, it's still an on-demand thing, right? Yeah, it's an on-demand thing, and that's. I think it's completely reasonable. But as a value added to a subscriber, I think it's you know, a great thing. Yeah. So that kind of like if I was on the fence, which I was about HBO, now I'm sort of thinking, well, I've got all the stuff I can watch and all these different devices I can watch it on, and this is really cool. So. Good. Uh, you, well, just a little addendum to that. What I did with I have DirecTV as well. I cut out all my extraneous channels I don't use. Got the minimum package, but I have HBO. But I also have a promotional thing. If you just call them up and say, you know, you're thinking of canceling HBO, they'll, they might offer you a special deal. So I recommend people try that with direct like What kind of deal would they give me? They gave me like three months free. Three months of HBO? Yep. Oh, and the LA if Times I, too, Kirk. If, oh, no. <laughs> I'll take HBO, but not the LA Times. Yeah, they, gave, they gave me three months free because I've been a loyal customer. Quote, unquote. So if you just talk to them and kind of hint that you're thinking of cutting HBO, okay. see what they say. I don't think they listen to this podcast, so this will totally work. Exactly. I'm adding this to my uh, Coco Crisp Afro watch. I'll update you on my <laughs> DirecTV discount. Yeah, but that's how I that's how I justify the cost of HBO. I cut all the channels I don't watch, 
I kept HBO, and now I've got my my DirecTV bill under fifty bucks. Awesome. One more thing. Last year, um, a camera crew came to my house to interview me for a film called Color Me Obsessed, which is a documentary about replacements fans. Not the replacements, well, the replacements viewed through the eyes of their fans. I was interviewed for about an hour, hour and a half, and then they went away. I I followed them on Facebook, followed them online, and didn't know if I had said anything interesting enough to actually make the film, but also didn't want to ask because I really didn't want to know until I knew. Well, this week I found out. Um, the film's been playing at some film festivals, and a friend of mine who, who actually one of the first people I met online in 1993 on Prodigy um, messaged me through Facebook and said that she'd seen the film and I was in it. So we'll talk more about this when it, when it actually gets released or comes to L.A., but um, of all the other weird things that happened this week, I found out that I'm, going to, I'm in a film about my favorite band. When you say that this film portrays not the replacements but their fans, yes, are you, are are is this portraying them in a positive light or are they like Trekkies? No, 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 no. This were you wearing your costume? Right. Yes, I, was, I actually was wearing. Did a you whole... have your special Paul Westerberg ears on? No, but I was wearing my my hold steady T-shirt. So that's that. In a weird way, yes, I was in costume. No, yeah, yeah. essentially, what they did was they they told the story, the history of the replacements through stories that their fans would tell about the band and it wasn't just it's not just me it's people like uh like robert christigau and dave foley and brian fallon of the gaslight anthem and the guys from titus andronicus uh grant hart greg norton were both uh, peter jespers and i think was interviewed so a lot of people very famous and then just regular people like me who just have been longtime fans of the band and you know maybe written about written about it online which is how I got this got to do this interview. Awesome, we look forward to it. Yeah, I'm. I'll, we'll talk more about this when when. Is it going to be on Netflix? Probably eventually. There's already IMDb reviews. It's play. It's played like four or five film festivals. It's playing uh, Minneapolis this week, and that's it for this week's Media Looper Bebop. So, what have we learned this week? We've learned that Kirk and Morrissey have more in common than either man would be willing to admit. We've learned that Tim has an ungodly fascination with British ladies' hats. And we've learned that Jim thinks that CNN is still a viable thing. I want to thank Tim Gaskell. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. And I want to thank Kirk Biglioni. Thanks, Kirk. You're welcome. I'm Jim Connolly, and most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>